Our scripture today is 1 Corinthians 2, 2. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our brother Dean is going to bring us our message, the three great I am's of Paul. Good morning. Some of you may have heard this story, but we're going to repeat it this morning because it has something to do with the three great I am's of Paul. I'd like to tell you this morning about a story, a story that I heard from the man that it happened to. He told it himself. I knew the man. I'd spent time with him while he was alive. It was yesteryear, and the man had an inspired idea. It was the early days of the Voice of Prophecy. There was a young pastor who had a vision, a vision of a worldwide ministry. He started up a fledgling radio broadcast on a few dollars and much, much prayer. He had no secretary. He was all alone. After the first broadcast occurred, he had 13 letters come in. He answered every one of those letters himself. It soon grew, however, to hundreds of letters, and then thousands, and then tens of thousands of responses. It was so successful that the general conference of the day had planned to meet and decide the future of what was now called the Voice of Prophecy, trying to decide whether this would be a recognized radio broadcast of the church. They planned to have a big meeting. It was wintertime, and the minister's And the many delegates met at the meeting, and they were going to decide what to do with the voice of prophecy. And HMS Richard Sr. was asked to be the featured speaker. He worked for many months on his sermon, many months of hard hours trying to find out what the perfect sermon would be for that occasion. He said that after much major effort, he had had what he thought was a reasonable sermon. By that time, he had a quartet that had joined him in this venture. The Voice of Prophecy, the members of the quartet went on ahead to the place of meeting, and he came a little later on. They met him, and the first question he asked them, what did that first speaker speak about the night of the first meeting? There was a series of speeches which HMS Richards was going to be the the last one. He was dumbfounded to hear that the first speaker had spoken on exactly the same subject that he had worked on so hard for his own sermon. He said to himself, well, that finished that, and I cannot speak on that subject that I've worked so hard on. Within a few hours of this moment, he began to have a terrible migraine headache, and it rose to become a real horrible headache, so severe that he could not function. It was incapacitating him. He said, I was in real trouble. I did not have a subject to preach on, and I had an incapacitating headache. He frantically tried to think any way that he could of what he should talk about for this momentous occasion. He tried everything, over-the-counter medications, he tried a hot bath, he tried the dark room, all things that people do. It was cold, and it was winter outside. Snow was on the ground, and it was frozen, so he decided to go for a walk in the cold, thinking that might help his headache, but it just made it worse, became blinding. Finally, the quartet quartet began asking him, what is your subject? We want to match our songs with your subject. It only seemed to make it worse. Nothing came to his mind 
The hours were going swiftly, and the migraine continued. He was sick, and he was nauseated, and he became even more frantic. Finally, he came to the evening of the sermon time. He still did not have a subject. And the quartet was asking him repeatedly, What is your subject? What's the subject of your sermon? He actually went to the hall where the meeting was to be held, and he did not have a subject in mind. He went on the platform, still with no subject. They finally sang the last song of the song service, and the opening song was sung in the chorus, and the quartet came over just one more time. What is your subject, H.M.? He said, I do not know. At the fourth stanza and the fourth chorus, he still did not have a subject, and he said to the one leading the song service, please, just sing the song one more time. During that time, his migraine was lifted and suddenly flashed into his mind, Romans 1, and the three great I am's of Paul. Some have called this his miracle sermon, the three great I am's of Paul. I am a debtor. I am ready. I am not ashamed. He spoke that night without notes. It was certainly from his heart. Certainly the Lord had given him this theme and this text in his mind. The following remarks are what I have to say are not the sermon that he gave that night. I do not have the privilege of having that sermon, but I know what his subject was. And these are some thoughts that have impressed me when I've pondered this subject of the three great I am's of Paul. I am a debtor. Paul, on his way to Damascus, was leaving Jerusalem behind with his bloody persecutions of the new Christians. He had been responsible for many deaths, including Stephen's death, Can you imagine? Paul was there holding their coats while they stoned him, giving his blessing to that awful, awful scene. Stephen, a new convert, was dying under a rain of rocks that we read about in Acts 7. Paul, now on his way to Damascus to find more of the new Christians, planning to bring them back bound to Jerusalem from Damascus so that he could have them killed and put to death. He planned for a week's travel on foot from Jerusalem to Damascus. Towards the end of his journey, with his men around him, suddenly a bright light, brighter than the sun, shone around Paul. They all heard a voice speaking from heaven, but only Paul saw the light. From Acts 9.3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And as he journeyed, he came near. And suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. A very strange statement, but what it really means is you are fighting against the Lord. And he said, What will you have me do, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, couldn't see a thing, without anything to eat or anything to drink. Now, Ananias was a prophet in that area, and Ananias was given a vision from the Lord, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and he, is, and he has seen a vision of the man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered the Lord, O Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints in Jerusalem. Ananias was frightened and scared. And here he had authority from the chief priest to bind all that called him by name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So we have a reason why Paul could say, I am a debtor. He had killed so many Christians. I am ready, for he met Jesus face to face. And I am not ashamed. He by faith believed in Jesus and the resurrection. A long, long ago in the councils of the throne room in heaven where God had met, they had a meeting, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Eternal Father. We will create a world and we will create mankind. If man falls into sin, we will put forth a plan to save them. At the appointed time, Jesus did come. Not as some would have expected, for you see he was born in a barn with animals as companions. His birth was not announced to the ministers and the religious leaders of that day, but to the poor shepherds watching their flocks on the hillsides around Bethlehem. And unreal as it seems, into that, new, into that scene came philosophers, pagan philosophers, and kings from other countries. 1,500 miles, and they brought gifts so that this young family, who was very, very poor, would have something to take care of them, for they were to go on a long journey into a foreign country to save the baby's life. They had to flee to another country, as we know. Later, during his short years of ministering to mankind, spies were everywhere trying to catch him, saying something that they could put him to death. He was out healing people and performing miracles. Spies were there to take his life. And these were his people, the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, of Moses, Jacob, Joseph, and David. And they had become so corrupt that they did not recognize the Savior of all mankind. Many prophecies in the Old Testament scrolls predicted the coming king, but they knew it not. In spite of daily spying and death threats, he went about Galilee healing and doing good. Old Testament scrolls prophesied that at the end of his life he would be crucified. And so he was. By his own people, inspiration tells us that at the time of the cross, God suffered with his son. Isaiah 53.10 is an amazing verse in scripture. It says it pleased the Lord to bruise him which tells us that God the Father was pleased that Jesus was on the cross so that you and I could inherit eternal life. Angels beheld the Savior's agony. They witnessed their king enveloped by legions of satanic forces at the cross. The angels were strangely silent in heaven, no music from their lips. Their harps were silent. Heaven was silent. Angels watched the Father God separate his beams of light and glory from his beloved Son 
during that three hours of darkness. Then they understood, and only then did they understand the terrible offensiveness of sin to an almighty God. In Matthew 28, 1, we read these, these interesting words. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it, sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Early Sunday morning on resurrection morning, before the night had completely passed, Jehovah God summoned the mighty angel Gabriel and said, Gabriel, it is time, it is time. Go and fly and roll the stone away. So Gabriel came down through perhaps Orion's space, swiftly down to this planet of earth, to the garden tomb, and all the demons of hell were there. Satan knew that Jesus, if he could rise, his doom was sealed. One angel sent from God's throne is equal to thousands of evil angels. Satan, looking upon, realized that this angel sent from God, Gabriel, had actually taken his place as a cherubim beside the throne of God. Gabriel rolled it away as though it was a grain of sand. Our Redeemer came forth glorified and our eternal life secured. And Satan's doom was sure. No wonder Paul could say, I am a debtor. His next phrase was, I am ready. I am ready. So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that in, are in Rome also. How can we be ready to do what Paul did? Paul is ready because he met Jesus. It is no different for us today. From so long ago, the cry that rang out from Joshua rings out to us today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24:15, And David said it as well. The, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 119.11 As Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth, whom I shall see for myself, and not another. Job 19.25 As Isaiah said, 41.10 For thou, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. For I am the Lord, thy God, and I will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, for I will help thee. And it shall come to pass that before they call, before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isn't that amazing? Thus saith the Lord of heavens, the sum and substance of our lives on earth would be to spend time with Jesus, know him as a personal friend, read his words daily. Just as we nourish our body with food, if we do not nourish our soul with scripture and the words from Jesus, we will die spiritually. And in the end, we would be lost forever. So this is how we may be ready. Let us look at that ready text one more time. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. The only way we will have something to say and share is if we have been 
before time with Jesus. And by beholding him, we become changed. Throughout scripture, it is a major truth that the Lord chooses who he will. The Lord does not always choose who we think he should choose. Our human wisdom is not adequate to know these things. Someone has written a parable in the form of a letter to Jesus. Addressed to Jesus, the carpenter, at the woodcrafter shop in Nazareth. Dear Sir, Thank you for submitting the resume of the 12 men you have picked. All of them have taken our battery of tests. We have not only put all of their information into our company's computers, but have arranged individual interviews with all of them. Our psychologists have reviewed them all as well. Each of their files are included with our report, and you will want to study each of them very carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments. This is given to you without an additional fee. It is our staff's opinion that most of your recruits are lacking in background and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not seem to have a team spirit. They do not understand that concept. We recommend that you continue your search for those with managerial ability and proven capabilities. Now Simon Peter is emotional, unstable, and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The sons of Zebedee, oh, James and John, well, they place personal loyalty above company loyalty. They are known as the sons of thunder. Thomas, well, he presents a questioning attitude that would undermine company morale, so be careful of him in the future. We feel it our duty to inform you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus have radical leanings, and you cannot trust them, and they both register high on the score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates shows great potential, a man of ability and resourcefulness, He meets people well. He has a keen mind, has contacts in high places, and highly motivated and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your financial controller and your right-hand man. All of the other profiles of the other men are seriously questioned. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Associates. God can use anyone he chooses. Anyone who is willing to spend time with Jesus and to learn to know him. For Jesus has promised us through Paul who wrote, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 I am not ashamed. Now we come to the third great I am of Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ashamed? How would we be ashamed? Would you have been ashamed in the barn that night of Jesus' birth and witnessed 
him being born beside cattle and sheep and witness the wise men come and worship him, would you have been ashamed? If you would have been in the temple that day and the crowd listening to the 12-year-old boy answering questions that shocked and amazed his listeners, would you have been ashamed? If you had been in the church that day when Jesus stood up to read from Isaiah's scroll, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath announced, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance of the captives, and recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. And he closed his book, and he sat down. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Would you have been ashamed to be there by his side? At the healing of the wild man on the shore of Lake Galilee, would you have been ashamed to be there with him? If you could have been there at the side when he healed the ten lepers, would you have been ashamed? How about old blind Bartimaeus? Would you have been ashamed? If you had been by Jesus' side at the Garden of Gethsemane when they took him and bound him, would you have been ashamed? In the high priest's court, when false charges were hurled at him and one smote him in the face, would you have been ashamed to stand beside his side? In Pilate's judgment hall, when they screamed to let Barabbas go instead of Jesus, would you have been ashamed to stand by him then? At the foot of the cross, when the mob shouted, If you be the Christ, come down and save yourself. Then said they, He saved others, but himself he cannot save. By these words they preached the greatest sermon ever preached. It was true, Jesus could not come down and in the same time save you and I. Would you have been ashamed of your king? One day in the future we will see a cloud coming in the heavens. First small, then larger and larger, and then brighter and brighter, and then brighter than the noonday sun. There will be only two classes of people then. It is too late to decide which side you'll be on then. This event will only demonstrate the decision you've already made now. The major people who were involved in Jesus' death, according to Revelation 1-7, will be raised in the special resurrection to see him. We are told they will witness a king coming in the clouds of heaven, and I suppose Annas will be there, Caiaphas and Pilate, and the one who smote him. What a horrible sadness to awake. And they realize they're lost forever. There's another group that had decided long before, as Abraham did, to look for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. They had learned to know Jesus as a personal savior, They will not be afraid, for they will say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. To put it another way, Lo, this is my God, and I have waited for him, and he will save me. For you see, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which means everybody that was ever born. And thus Paul was saying to everybody on this earth, they'll need to make a choice because we all must face the courtroom of seeing 
of God's righteous judgment. The Bible tells us so. We either stand alone before God and the law judges us as guilty or we stand having accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us and the gospel of Jesus that sets us free. From the glorious words of that beautiful hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, and his feet sorrow and love flow mingling down and ere such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine that would present far too small a present. Love so amazing, so divine. There rests my soul, my life, and my all. Oh, oh, so I am a debtor. I can never repay. Jesus had a parable once about a man that owed 150,000 years of wages. He could never repay it. And then I realized, that's me. I am ready. For probation one day will close. I have no time to lose. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I want to be with Jesus for eternity. I am not ashamed. Ashamed? Never. For you see, you died for me. How could I ever be ashamed? Jesus who said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. I am a debtor because my name is engraved on the palms of Jesus' hands. Isaiah 49, 16. I am ready for my name is engraved on the palms of Jesus' hands. I am not ashamed for my name is engraved on the palms of Jesus' hands. Amen. Eternal Father, our prayer this morning is that each of us will spend more and more time at the foot of the cross where we learn more of you, your wonderful salvation to all of us. May at last, may each one of us go through the gates of the New Jerusalem to spend eternity with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.